Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Happy holidays from our sponsor, Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Whether you prefer giving gifts or receiving them, Trupanion's Breeder Support Program is perfect for you. With the program's Go Home Day offer, you can gift your puppy buyers a special offer to try out a Trupanion insurance policy with no waiting periods. And as a member, you can use Trupanion's professionally curated flyers and infographics in your puppy kits. You'll also get access to a private Facebook group of breeder partners. Getting started is easy. Just follow the link on my partner page at puredogtalk.com. Welcome, everybody. We are live <laughs> at the Bonneville Basin Kennel Association Woo! talking about structure and action. Yay! We have a live studio audience. Look at this. People can clap. And so we're going to have a conversation about why our dogs are built the way they're built, their structure, and what that does to facilitate their function. Form and function go together, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about why. So I'm very excited for this. We have some great people here to join us. So listen in. So I'm going to get started here. When we're talking about structure and action, we're talking about all of the jobs that our dogs did, whether it was a companion, whether it was a herding dog, whether it was a working dog, whether it was a ratting dog, everything that our dogs did decides how they're constructed. And part of what we're doing at the dog show is to say which one of them does that the best, which one of them fits the standard to do the job that they were created to do. And so what I wanted to talk about and really kind of hone in on is that piece. Why does the structure of my puny act differently than the structure of my Pembroke Walsh Corgi or my Italian Greyhound and my Maltese? All of these things. And so we have some fabulous people here to talk to us about that. And so we're going to start with Chris Levy. Just because she's right here in front of me. So Chris, talk to us. You are terriers and herding. So talk to us about the difference of a dog that goes to ground, that doesn't go to ground, a dog that herds, all of those things. What are you seeing? What makes that structure different? We were talking earlier about loins as a place. Okay, right. so all of those things. Well, there's a lot of differences even between the herding dogs, mm -hmm. depending on what kind of herding they did. Right. And so for a Pumi, what we need is something that has moderate angulation and has somewhat of a top line and body structure to give them speed. Right. And so what we see is quite a bit of tuck up, uh -huh. a very slight arch over the loin. Right. Gives them speed. And the moderate angulation allows them to turn on a dime. Okay. Which makes a really good agility dog, too. Right. So, and that's another thing. What our dogs used to do isn't necessarily what they do today. And so all of the things that they, the structure that they had that made them good at herding or what have you, 
makes them good at other things, whether it's barn hunt or lure coursing or dock diving or agility. And I think that that's an important consideration and something that we have to talk about with not only our puppy buyers, but with the general public just across the board. That having a sound dog, even if you don't do anything with it, is so important because that dog is going to live longer, healthier, happier than a dog that is a structural disaster. Yes? Yes. Okay. Tanya, speak to me on that because I think this is really something where toy breeds particularly run into issues. So talk to us about that. I think that a lot of people think that, oh, it's a toy dog. It doesn't matter how they're put right. together. And then what happens is you forget about the fact that as a companion, these dogs have to be able to live to their 10, 15 years old and be able to still walk to the food bowl. They still need <laughs> Get to be on able off the couch. Exactly. Or they still need to be able to go outside to go to the bathroom. And what happens is when you start losing your purpose of angulation and the purpose of having angulation within the structure of your dog, you lose the natural shock absorbers for their bodies. So you need to make sure that your expectations of their abilities match the structure that they have. Yes. And I think that you run into a lot of problems. If, for instance, we show a lot of Pekingese. Your expectations of a Pekingese cannot be the same as your expectations of an Italian Greyhound, even though they're all toy breeds. Their purpose is completely different. Their construction is different. Therefore, their abilities are different. Yes. And I think that's really what I want to dive into. So, Linda, talk to us about Italian Greyhounds. Talk to us about that particular structure that's very unique within the toy group, specifically. Well, first off, a lot of people do not realize that an Italian Greyhound is a side hound. Yes. And everybody thinks it's the Whippet and the Greyhound. But they actually lure course with Italian yes. Greyhounds. Yes, they they can get dual champions, if right. I am correct. Yes, and a lot of us are doing that. Good. So to do that, to do these jobs properly, if their structure is not correct, right. you're going to end up with crippled dogs. You're not going to be able to hold up to the running and jumping and everything. So basically, most people think of an Italian Greyhound as just a little bad dog, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. somebody to love and pet. And, and, and like they're made out of glass. Almost. Right, that they're really fragile. A properly constructed... Italian Greyhound is just as sturdy as a Whippet. They have to be bred properly. So talk about that construction. Specifically, what does that mean? You don't want little bitty fine bones. You want substance. Substance. You know, they're right. actually supposed to be a well-muscled body. You're supposed to have the S-curve. They call them the S-curve dog. But if they don't have that well-muscled body, that substance in their bone, you're going to end up with a disaster. Okay. I have a question. So with an Italian Greyhound, you obviously have a different structure top line. Mm -hmm. So how does that top line help them do their job in different movement than like from another structured dog? Well, on an Italian Greyhound, they have the long reach and drive. And for me, the slight rise, a lot of them are way over rise. And it's supposed to be a slight rise with a light drop off. You don't want one that rises real high and then the rear drops mm. off. It, it's not to be more exaggerated, no, correct? it is right. not. So to give them that reach and drive and hold that top line, because when you're out moving, that top line should not dip. You know, they should hold that curve in their top line. And without the proper structure to do the reach and drive, 
you're not going to be able to hold. The so the top curve one. helps them be more efficient, efficient in their reach and drive. Right. That's great. Mm -hmm. Same as a whippet. Right. So carry that on. So the Italian greyhound, the whippet, the greyhound, carry that forward when we're talking about our galloping sighthounds. Well, similar. We've got to have a deep chest. So the power, the slight mm -hmm. S curve, because the chest has to be deep. Right. And so to get the rise, they have to right. go. And then a tuck tail, a strong rear end, slim legs, but muscle. A lot of dogs are getting away from the muscle. So what I'm hearing is that bone and substance, even in toy breeds, is a thing. Yes. And that when your average puppy buyer's out there buying a dog, they should be looking for a dog that doesn't have its legs coming out of the same hole or, you know, the types of things that you can see that are clearly functional faults in our breeds. I'd like to address agility too. Go! Because a lot of people will choose a puppy on the temperament that they want to see for agility. And they're not looking for the structure. And for an agility dog, these dogs will go over a jump thousands of times over their lifetime. And if they don't have a good structural front end mm -hmm. to land on with some cushioning or a good rear to push off with, they're going to break down. Right. So the agility people should also be looking for good structure. I'm talking just your average owner. Mm -hmm. So back here, right. I've got Doberman people. A lot of folks are going to go jogging with their Doberman. They want a dog that's going to help them feel safer while they're running. That dog has got to be properly constructed to go running for five miles with its human who thinks that's a cool thing to do. Why do you think that's a cool thing to do? I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a cool thing to do. Right, there you go. So talk to me, Doberman people. So with the Doberman, it's a misnomer that they're supposed to be these giant dogs. They've gone to this ebb and flow. A Doberman is a medium-sized dog, and we've lost that. You see a lot of these large Dobermans in the group rings, and that's also incorrect, but they see, okay, this is a big, powerful dog. In fact, there's a new person breeding, and it's a giant Doberman breed, and this is what the Doberman is, and it's not. It's a medium, moderate-sized dog that has good, and we're losing a lot of that right now. It's becoming very slight. It's just like with the Italian Greyhounds. You want that good muscle. You want uh, equal with the rear and the shoulder. So you can have that reach and balance. Balance, 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 balance. Where the rear isn't coming so far behind them that right. they're going to fall. As a joke breeder, something that is plaguing our breed is a gay tail. Boxers can have a gay tail and it's okay with their structure for but for a Doberman to have a gay tail, they can't have the drive that they need to do the work they need. So I think this is a really important point, Lydia, and that is when you get the tail coming off the back straight up, you've changed the absolute angle of the pelvis. Yes. And as soon as you do that, it's basic geometry. The bones don't move, so they don't have the power to drive off the rear if the pelvis is now tipped at this direction to make the tail go straight up in the air. Absolutely, and because we're supposed to have a slightly rounded crew to then have the tail as an extension and not straight. So then you can have that equal drive as you do the reach, because with the Doberman, that front leg is supposed to come out to the tip of their nose, mm -hmm. and the rear is supposed to do the same. But if you have that imbalanced structure, and it's plaguing a lot of breeds, mm -hmm. but for a Doberman, I mean, we want them to be able to, again, go five miles, which I'm with you. I don't understand why people do that. Seems ridiculous <laughs> to me. But at the same time, they're supposed to be that guardian breed that can do the protection 
and then also take somebody down if they need it. So you need a correct rear set for a dog to jump and leap to take somebody down. It's like everything. We want a level again. You guys have to have that that slight S to have the but with us we want that nice little top one so the shoulders just extend down to the spot, you know, on that level. But we just need the power that they have. And it's really nice because again, Dobermans are so athletic to do agility and dog right. diving and all these things. And we want a pretty dog. There's no reason you can't have a pretty dog and have that structure. But balance. we need that balanced structure and we're getting very extremes on both sides. And so, yeah, for okay. me, that's a big thing. Okay, so now my terrier peeps back there, Karma. Oh, so you're talking. Right I know Chris is here too. I know. I'm trying to. I'm trying to spread this around here. Talking about terriers, whether they're a go-to-ground dog, you know, short-legged dog, or they're a tall dog, where they're a router and they're catching. Talk about the structure that makes. We'll use your breed, miniature Schnauzer. It was just a general farm dog, right? Like they did all the stuff. They did everything. So yeah. talk to us about that. You know what I think is important. I think you know, great reach and drive is fabulous. Actually, I love to see a beautiful schnauzer moving around the ring with great reach and drive, but you don't have to have great reach and drive to kill a rat. And I think <laughs> that we are starting to lose some of our other qualities. Some of our breeders are not worrying about teeth, and you can't, you know, if you, mm -hmm. you have to It's have all part of function. they got to kill things. Big, strong mouth. They have to have a good muzzle. You know, they have to have a good, strong head to be able to do their job. So right. I, I think that's one thing that our judges are focusing so much on side gate, which I think is so gorgeous in the group ring to see that beautiful dog go. And I love it as much as everyone else, but you know, if you're, you know, you also need to be parallel and you have to have good bone, you have to have, to have muscle tone. You don't want the rat pulling your dog in a hole. <laughs> but I, I think that's so an ED that it goes right. in a hole. That's and I I'm think saying. that is so much of what I'm trying to get to here is that the structure that makes this dog unique to do this specific job is unique to that breed. Right. And even, you know, a miniature schnauzer to a standard schnauzer to a giant schnauzer. Yes, Trish, go. Question, Karma. Do you think that the alternative breeds, the toy miniature schnauzers, are losing their ability to pull rats out of holes? The rats are going to pull me out. Yeah, we're only going to fight the battles with breeds that are recognized by the American Kennel Club. They're a made-up breed. Yes. One more thing about terriers, because I have fox terriers as well. Right. And it's funny that people don't realize the tail placement yes. on these terriers is so important, which is why our old school terrier people, the judges will come up and pick up from the neck and the tail and set the dog down and everybody goes, oh my God, they're hurting that dog. And they don't realize my fox terrier, when it goes to ground and it's pulling out a fox, I grab that tail and yank it out to help it out. It better be Bingo. rooted in pretty solid. And, and if we can't grab onto those tails and not have that tail pop out of socket or have an issue, that dog's useless and it's going to die. And so that's something that people don't realize that with the dogs that are going to ground and we have those tails, it is very important and essential to pick them up by their tail to make sure that that tail is going to hold that dog when they're doing their job and you're helping them. You're trying job. to help them save Correct. their lives. Yeah. <laughs> and so that is a big thing that it's really sad that people are not understanding. There is a purpose for why we pick a terrier up by their head and their tail.
Right. Because it's showing that they can do that job. Yep. Absolutely. Chris, talk to us a little bit more. Tom, one of you guys, talk a little bit more on the tall terriers. So the Airedale, the Irish, the Kerry. You have the long-legged terriers, (laughs) some of which go to ground and some of which don't. Of the long-legged terriers. Of the long-legged terriers. So the ones that went to ground were the smaller of the long-legged terriers, the fox terriers, the Welsh, the Lakeland. Mm -hmm. And they were bred specifically to adapt their long legs in a box hole by having a shorter upper arm. Okay. So they still have a well-angulated upper arm, but it's shorter. So that when they move, their elbows aren't interfering when they're in the ground. Okay. Okay. The ones that do not go to ground, like the miniature schnauzers, I mean, we can compete in earth dog, but they were bred as a stable dog. And so they were above ground. So they should have a regular shoulder, as should the farm dogs, the Irish farm dogs, which are the Kerry, the Wheaton, and the Irish. So those, and of course, then you have the bull breeds, which were never meant to go to ground. They should also have a regular front. So it drives me crazy when they talk about a terrier front, Mm -hmm. and they refer to something that's not a long-legged earth dog, because all the other ones should have normal fronts. Even the achondroplastic dogs still have a well-angulated shoulder blade and upper arm and the same length. All right, there you go. This is why we do these things, right? Make sure we get it right. So now, yes, Karma, go. You've been talking about structure, and I know this is about structure. Yes. But part of each of our breeds and the essence of every breed is the personality also. And I think the pet buying population needs to understand that each of these breeds have different personalities. Like most of the terriers that I know are very individualistic. They think on their own. They don't do things to please you. They're very different than the Maltese and the Italian Greyhound. Yeah, but it's like if we have a squirrel in our yard, I have six or more schnauzers trying to get the squirrel. They don't work as a pack. It's like who can get it first? And if they don't work together, and they don't like to go to dog parks and play with a friend or have a play date because it's all about them. Each one has a specific job. And that's very different than many of, say, the hound breeds that are designed to be in a pack. Yes, some of those are. But one of the things that I've learned as we've had pumis went from schnauzers to pumis, and I've described the temperaments, and I can separate all of the breeds into two types, a hunting dog and some other kind of purpose dog. The hunting dogs, other than the ones that are bred to do in a pack, they're out there hunting, your sporting dogs. The hounds, Hounds. the sight hounds, hounds. they are out there hunting, and the terriers, Mm -hmm. they are hunting dogs. They're not the kind where you can go hiking and just take your dog off the lead and they're just going to stay right there with you. It's not going to happen. The herding dogs were bred to be in the field all day long with their shepherd. They don't run off. So it's a big difference when pet people are talking about temperaments and they don't want a dog that's going to run off. Don't get a sporting dog. Don't get a hound. Don't get a terrier. (laughs) Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history 
of purebred dogs into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. What Karma was talking about, I was going to take that and spin it slightly differently. And that is that proper structure to do the job is what makes our dogs happy and healthy for a long duration of time. Now, in many breeds, in many cases, there's what we think of as heart. There's that willingness, that desire, that bit ability, that want to do whatever it is. Sporting dogs are notorious for this. And you see dogs that are constructed like they were put together by committee <laughs> and they're still out there doing their job willingly and you have to stop and think, okay, great, that's heart, that's part of the breeding, that's part of the thing, but why are we making a dog that has to be so miserable and broken down because it has the desire to do what we're asking it to do. And so that structure piece goes with the drive and desire. Put drive and desire with a dog that's built right. Oh my God, what about that? Wow. Yes. But it doesn't wow. have heart. <laughs> yes, it does. If, if it you can heart. make that dog. Right. But where I'm going is going back to my days of sporting dogs. Right. The standing joke, heart and a field crowd was defined as that dog with a stick straight front that did it anyway. And in those days, a dog with a correct front didn't get looked at because he didn't have heart. He wasn't well, working, okay. hard. He wasn't working so, hard enough. And that's a whole conversation that we can have. And we can use it in confirmation ring as well. So a dog in a field trial, pointing breed field trial, a dog that goes, runs like snappy, they call it, snappy. Yeah. You know what that is when we translate it to the show ring? It goes the same way. <laughs> Looks like a spider on speed going around the ring. <laughs> All right? So what I'm saying is structure is structure is structure and structure, no matter where you put it. And if you are in a sport that needs heart and drive and desire, then make the structure and add the heart yes. and drive and desire. Or take the heart and drive and desire and put some structure on it so that the poor dog isn't killing itself <laughs> in order to fulfill its drive and desire and what you've asked it to do, right? Absolutely. And okay. I think also have the people understand that the dog is moving easy does not mean it doesn't have heart. That is correct. And just because it's not snappy, quote unquote, yeah. doesn't mean it's not working. Yes. <laughs> just because it's not struggling doesn't mean it's not working. Exactly. 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 And I think that's an important piece to bring to the show room. When we see a dog that's moving a little slower, it's real mellow and easy, and you're like, oh, it's, you know, it doesn't catch your eye. It's not flashy. And you see the one that's racing around the ring and flinging itself all around. What's it doing? It's wasting energy. It's wasting motion. It's not an efficient mover in any breed. I don't care if it's a Maltese 
or if it's a Doberman. It doesn't matter. If it's flailing all over the place and the whoever the exhibitor is running it 90 miles an hour, just a thought. Well, I think it also comes down to you can't expect a chow, for instance, who should be more moderately angled to move out like a whippet. Right. And when people talk about subgates, Everybody wants all this reach and drive. But to me, palms are a breed that's really bad about. People want these, they want 45 degree angles in a breed that's super short backed. You can't physically have that. It doesn't work. So you're going to end up having dogs that are crippled because they're over angulated for their purpose and their proportions. And then they're not healthy because they're not put together right. So you have to have your expectations have to be accurate for whatever your breed is. Yes. I love that. Read the standard. Don't just go what it actually is fancy and famous right now. Yes, Lydia. You next, Chris. Go. One other thing that as a handler, we need to know the breeds. So if you're going to hire a handler, make sure your person knows the breeds because I started showing otter hounds. And I mean, we talked about the sight hounds. Well, a scent hound is a totally Whole nother bucket. <laughs> and you know. I Whole nother bucket. The thing is, people don't realize they're not supposed to have the reach and drive. I mean, I had a top winning otter hound. And I go to the national and I would see people flying around the ring with an otter hound saying, this is how they're supposed to move. And I'm like, no, they're supposed to slump like this when you move on the ring. And then with the scent hounds, the ears are so important that they have to be long enough and people don't realize as they're on the ground with their nose, the ears are gathering that scent in. And so they look at them and say, well, they need to have the 45 degree angles and everything. Well, no, because if their nose is always on the ground, that neck is going to hurt if they have the angles of a Doberman. Right. And so that's something, too, that we don't think about, or the random people don't think about, because they're like, well, this dog's neck is supposed to be so high, you're supposed to do this. Well, no, that neck is supposed to be low and to the ground. And so doing the job they're supposed to do, we need to know as a person buying, purchasing, owning, or breeding, breeding, we need to know what that structure is. And... It may not be the ideal sight of what the world is thinking because if you're doing it correctly, you're going to piss off a lot of people because you're not following what a fad might be happening. You know what? If you breed to the standards, you're never going to go wrong. Absolutely. You may not win all the time, but you're never going to go Absolutely. wrong. Absolutely. And so I think the final piece that I wanted to touch on, and this is such a great group to talk about this, is when we talk about similar breeds. So we talked about IGs and Whippets and Greyhounds, right? So breeds that have similar purposes. So I will take Spinoni Italiano and Wirehair Pointers. They're wire-coated, they both have beards, they're both versatile hunting dogs, they're both reasonably substantial dogs, and yet the individual differences in the breeds are very specific, and they're very specific based on the terrain in which they worked and the specific jobs that they did. The wire hair pointers were designed to work in the forest. They were in the swamp. They had to dispatch a small predator up to and including a fox. So that makes a very specific breed versus a Spinoni that was much more laid back, that was much more casual, that was working to feed the family, but it was all about the family. So it had to be much better with the whole group of dogs around them and they worked in the mountains. They've got the break in the top line. They've got the 30 degree group. So again, taking similar breeds and thinking about them and comparing the jobs that they did and then looking at the structure that those jobs gave them. 
Does that make sense? Chris, give me another one. I w- well, I was going to add to what you were saying, actually. The trot is not necessarily a natural gait for a lot of these breeds. Depends on the breed, absolutely. Absolutely. And Galloping so, hounds? Right. The side hounds are bred and should be bred to have a gallop, an extended gallop. And even the Pumi, they don't necessarily They're not trot. attending trot. Exactly. Like a German like Shepherd Like a German or Shepherd right. that just should be bent, a moving fence all the time, keeping right. the sheep in. And so you have to talk about what they're supposed to naturally do, even though we expect at the show ring to have them do right. a trot. You know, if we could judge them all on their gait that they were supposed to do... Could we just judge the Maltese by being snuggled in your arm and being adorable? <laughs> because I feel like that would be the right way to go. So one time I judged our national food sex and there was another judge coming in and we were talking and I said, well, it'll be interesting to see they were nice dogs, whatever. And, you know, I said, it just really comes down to how you feel that the, the proportions and what balance you should have, you know, what you'll end up doing. And she's like, all I care about is if they're pretty when I wake up in the morning. And they're sitting on my bed. And I said, well, you know, when they're 10 years old, they still need to be able to walk to the food bowl. And that comment made such a big impact on several different people when I said it because I had like a working dog handler that was with me. And she's like, I've never forgotten that because people forget that even though they're small dogs and even though their primary job was to sit on your lap, but they still have to be a healthy functioning dog. Right. And without that, they're not going to live a long time and they're not going to reproduce well and they're not going to be able to even be a lap dog because they can't function in the world. So. Right. That was really a big part of why I wanted you here. I specifically requested for you to come <laughs> because I wanted to talk about that piece because I think we get so caught up in, oh, I just want a pet. Oh, I just want to have a couch dog. Oh, I just want... Oh, okay. You can really talk about it in Pekingese. Yeah. Because in Pekingese, if you do not have the proper structure and the fact that they're a dwarf breed, then there is so much more stress put on their back. Also, I show a lot of dachshunds. Same dachshunds. Thing. Oh, my you gosh. Yeah. You don't have 90-degree bend to stifle. You don't have those rear assemblies. You're going to have back problems. You don't have the proper length of loin. You don't have the amount of ribbing to support the, the length. The heel is so exactly. critical. If you don't have those things, those dogs are going to be crippled, and they're not going to be able to live. And so it's even more imperative in those extreme breeds like that that you do have the proper structure, or not only can they not do the job, they can't live a regular a healthy life. life. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, as this group sitting here, we're all preservation breeders. We're all working hard to keep our breeds functional and alive. And in order for them to be functional and alive in society, people need to purchase them and own them and love them. And in order for that to happen, they have to be healthy. And they have to live long enough to be a companion. And I think it is so important that we as preservation breeders, that John Q. Public, that the average buyer, that whoever it is, think about the structure. Think about the building blocks of what we're creating and not the ribbons that we're going to win. I think that another thing that you said, it's not even just about longevity of life, it's about quality Quality of of life. life. If a Great Dane can live six years, but they live a great six years, 
that is ten times better than having a dog for the last four years that is broken down or whatever. It's all about that they're carrying around in a sling. Exactly. It's all about having quality of life up until the point in which they're not with us anymore. And I think people forget about what feeds into those things. Absolutely. Okay, you guys. It's been a long day. Anybody have anything else they'd like to add before we call it a night? Happy you came. Thank you for being my live studio audience. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, Give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 